message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, it's so good to be standing up here again. Um, I am excited, and this may sound strange, uh, given that we're in an Old Testament prophet, but uh, man, I'm really excited about going further into this prophecy of Zechariah. You see the kind of the sermon series slide that's up there now, Return, Rebuild, Restore, kind of an overall theme for this prophecy, but... um, You know, last week we just did the first six verses, kind of an introduction, kind of see where God is leading through this prophet and how His Word, even then, uh, 500 years or more prior to the birth of Christ, how God speaks to His people then and how that Word is still so timely and valuable for us now. And the more we read the Old Testament the more we will more accurately understand the New Testament and see a a more full picture of what God is telling us. So today we're going to look at uh, the next section of this prophecy, which contains three different visions, really four if you count the the dual vision in the the second paragraph. But uh, I want to take a moment, though, to explain the sermon title. Only a portion of our congregation this morning is going to really understand that phrase that's on the screen right now or in the, in the bulletin. And when I say it, maybe it'll ring a bell. Boy, I got vision. And the rest of the world's wearing bifocals. Some of you are grinning and nodding in agreement. But there was a movie, a, a classic film really, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And there's a scene when uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford are on horseback and they're about to ride off and Paul Newman says to Robert Redford, Boy, I got vision. And the rest of the world's wearing bifocals. And I thought about that because it kind of just resonated in my, in my mind. And it really uh, applied so well to where we are in Scripture today. And, and the reason is... Uh, Zechariah received a series of visions. This is just the first portion. All the way up to chapter 6, there are more visions that he receives from God. And each one has a particular meaning for God's people and for, quite frankly, the enemies of God's people. And so uh, we've got lots of things to notice in our Scripture today. And so it's a long passage of Scripture um, all the way to the end of chapter 2. So I do want to take a moment to read it because I feel like we need to read the Word so we can get a full idea. One note, though, let me just show you this before we begin to read. Uh, In the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, chapter 2 begins with what our English translations have as chapter 1, verse 18. So why our English translations didn't preserve the original text, I I don't know, but I I couldn't find one that had it marked correctly. But chapter 2 actually begins 
with chapter 118. And so when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, that's actually verse 5. So uh, just a little side note there so you can understand the flow of the original text of Scripture. Uh, not that it makes a lot of difference. We're going to read the whole thing anyway and keep it together. But I just want you to, if you like to take notes and like to know things like that, the original Hebrew text starts chapter 2 at uh, verse 18. So we're going to start chapter 1, verse 7, and go all the way through the end of chapter 2. So listen, follow along. The words will be on the screen. And uh, let's take in all that God has for us today. Here's what the Bible says, uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. And then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth. And behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up! Up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. 
For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, After His glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as His portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that You would take this Word that I've read. I pray You would help us to understand. Help us to hear Your truth. Help us be obedient to what You show us. That You might be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now this text, although long, uh, sometimes in the prophets, uh, the prophecies, especially of the Old Testament, in the in the minor prophets, uh, sometimes uh, the text has to go in longer portions to really get a full picture of what's happening to kind of keep the story together. Okay, so uh, we dealt with six verses last week. And we deal with you know a chapter and a half or more today. But but here's what's going on. There, there's an overall um, theme that is developing in these visions why God spoke the way He spoke. Okay, and so, so this is I don't want to get I don't want to get bogged down in the in too much of the details. Some of the details are really really important, but I don't want to get bogged down where we miss the big picture. Okay, so let me tell you the big picture, and then I've got several things I want us to notice. The the big picture here in this text is you can depend on God. Okay, and there's uh, there there's several different areas and characteristics you can depend. On God, you can depend on the Lord and, and different things that He shows to His people. Okay, and so it, that's the overarching theme here. And as we go through this text, I want us to always remember uh, that kind of is the line that goes underneath everything we're going to say here. You can depend on the Lord. First of all, you can depend on the Lord's comfort. You can depend on the Lord's comfort. When you look at the text beginning in verse seven, this is exactly five months after the work had begun on rebuilding the temple. Okay, so God's people were in exile. Uh, you see in this text today mentioned 70 years, the Babylonian exile. Okay, and so they've come back and they're rebuilding God's temple. This is exactly five months after that has begun. This vision comes to Zechariah. So uh, remember I told you last week, Zechariah and Haggai, those two prophets, were at the same time doing the same work, uh, unique messages given to each of them, but if you were to look at Haggai chapter 1 verse 15, you'd see a, a note about rebuilding the temple, having begun the rebuilding. That's how they calculate the five months. 
Okay, so Zechariah gets this vision. He sees a man riding on a red horse, and he shows you where he is. There's other horses behind him. They're patrolling the earth, kind of a, a reconnaissance mission, if you will. And, and here's what they're doing. They want to see what's going on. Now, now of course, God knows, right? But, but he sent these, these patrol units out to kind of say, what's, the, what's the, the mood of the people around the world right now? Because, see, God knows that He's got His chosen people, and He knows that He's actually utilized the enemies of God's people for discipline's sake, right? To discipline His people, to draw them back. Do you remember what He said in a passage last week? Verse 3, Return to Me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Right? So, so now we get the picture that it appears God's people have begun to return to Him because He says He's returning to them. So here's the verdict of the patrol that God sent out in the earth. All the earth is peaceful. Interesting. Peaceful. There's a word that's used in the text here when it says, um, it says it's peaceful. It says, uh, remains, this is the end of verse 11, remains at rest. The Hebrew word there gives you this picture of... Um, like just sitting, sitting in quiet. Now, now that's odd, okay? And it's odd because why would everybody just be quiet and, and sitting when there's a, a slew of nations here that have been wreaking havoc on God's people? In fact, the Word says that God was just a little bit angry, but they took it too far. Right? He was using them to discipline His people, but they went overboard. They said, hey, look, we're, we're getting to win the battle, so let's just you know, take it for all it's worth. And so that's what incited God to come back in judgment against them. So the, the presence of God now is in the midst of His people. When you see this after verse 11, this is the fulfillment of verse 3. When, when God said, hey, return to Me, and I'll return to you. Well, well, look what he says. I'm I'm returning to you. Verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. So not only can we depend on God's comfort as it's seen in the fulfillment of this promise and the presence of God being in the midst of His people, that is a comfort we can also depend on the Lord's mercy. Because He says in verse 16, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, with compassion. And then He talks about His house being rebuilt, the temple being rebuilt which has already begun. He gives another promise about a, a measuring line being stretched over Jerusalem which we'll see here in just a minute in the, in the last vision. The cities are going to overflow with prosperity again. See in verse 17, the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So there's a, a blend of comfort and mercy that God is bringing back to His people because of this time period, 70 years. When, when is the Lord going to show His mercy? You see that back in verse 12. The angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem? And, and God, it's almost as if God says, alright now, don't be getting ahead of me. I was just getting to that. You know, it's like God's giving us the message. He's showing us His comfort with His presence. He's showing us His mercy by giving His promises about 
prosperity, compassion. Uh, his temple is going to be rebuilt. There's, the Lord's going to again comfort Zion, choose Jerusalem. And so we're seeing more and more that God is at work. Remember the, the theme here? You can depend on the Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. Have there been times in your life when you didn't feel that truth? Maybe your circumstances were uh, such that, alright, I know I'm supposed to be able to depend on the Lord, but what's going on here? doesn't feel like I can depend on Him. My circumstances don't look like I can depend on Him. You ever felt that? You ever been there? So what, what are we supposed to do when that happens? Right? Are we supposed to just jump ship and say, alright God, you had your chance, but... I'm not feeling the love, so I'm, I'm going elsewhere. And by the way, if that's the case, pray tell, where, where are you going? Where, where would you go? Do you remember what Jesus said to His disciples in John chapter 6 when He's teaching some difficult doctrine to them and people are walking away? It says that in... in John's Gospel, chapter 6. It's a long chapter. Read it. Some of them went away and were not following Him anymore. He turns to His twelve and He says, Y'all want to leave too? I mean, He didn't say y'all, but I mean, well, He might have, you know, southern Jerusalem. Anyway, He, he said, Y'all want to leave too? And you remember what Peter said? Where are we going to go? Where, where can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We can trust You. You've proven it over and over and over again. See, we, like God's people, suffer from this terrible, terrible disease. It's called memory loss. And it doesn't just happen as we advance in age. What was the first thing the children of Israel did when God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. The very first thing they did, they complained. Why'd you bring us out in the desert, Moses? We're going to die. We could have been better off back there. No, no, you wouldn't have been better off. But that's the first thing they did. They, they had no memory of God's goodness and love and kindness and mercy and grace and provision. All the, thing, all the things that God does for us and we're so quick to just forget how, how does that work how, how is that possible God is almost constantly doing things for us take a breath what a gift what a gift from God but we forget His dependability, His faithfulness, His trustworthy nature. Even though He's constantly giving us comfort and mercy. And by, and by the way, another evidence of God's mercy is the fact that we're still breathing. Because we don't deserve that. I mean, if we want to get real... 
We want to be honest with ourselves and, and honest with God's Word to us. We don't deserve what we have. That's mercy. It's grace. It's love. It's kindness. Provision. Everything. Every bit of it. And so God, through His prophet, through these visions, is outlining different things that He does, that He has done, that He will do, ways we can depend on Him. His comfort, His mercy. When we get to verse 18, which is, as I said, the beginning of chapter 2, you see another vision. The Bible says, I lifted my eyes and saw four horns. You also see four craftsmen. The horns represent the nations that have oppressed Judah and Israel, that oppressed God's people. The craftsmen, you can understand that kind of like a, like a blacksmith, okay, that type of craftsman. So these craftsmen then represent God's judgment on the enemies of His people. They have come, the Bible says, to terrify them. To ter- you see that in, uh, I believe it's verse uh, 21. Yeah. These are the horns that scattered Judah so no one would raise his head. And these, talking about the craftsmen, the blacksmith, they have come to terrify them to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah. So God is not blind to what's happening. I asked you a moment ago, have you ever felt a time in your life when, when you didn't feel like you could depend on God. You didn't feel His comfort and His mercy. By the way, uh, our faith is not based on our feelings. You should write that down and, and, and file it away for everyday use. Our, our feelings will lead us straight to hell. Okay? Our feelings don't... We have to, we have to teach our heart. We don't... This is another lie of the world, which is, by the way, a lie of the devil. Oh, just follow your heart. No. No. Don't follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, the heart is desperately wicked and sick. Who can possibly comprehend it? Deceitful above all things. Our hearts. Don't don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to follow Christ. Follow the Word of God. Don't, don't, Don't give in to... Uh, well, I feel this way, or I think... This. No, no. What, what does God say? Our feelings will get us in trouble. It's, it's, our, it's our willingness to devote to God's Word. Because God can be trusted. We can depend on His comfort. We can depend on His mercy. And number three, we can depend on His justice. He's not blind here. He, he doesn't forget... You see, he's giving this vision specifically to Zechariah to say, hey, take heart. I'm about to take care of these folks. The, the time of exile is coming to an end and the temple's going to be rebuilt and I'm going to bring my people back into my loving arms. The, he talks about prosperity. He talks about comfort. He talks about mercy and compassion. And he says specifically here, these four craftsmen or blacksmiths are going to terrify these other nations that treated them poorly. To cast them down, the ones who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah. So this is God's justice coming to bear on the enemies of God's people. James Boyce writes that it would be Zechariah's way of saying, listen to this, 
Whatever the power raised against God's people, God also has His power and representative to oppose it and throw it down. Enemies rise against the church from all directions. But listen, there has never been an age in which God did not raise up people equal to the task to scatter those who have scattered the flock of Christ. God's going to handle it one way or another. Which is also why the Bible says, do not repay evil for evil, but leave room for the wrath of God. Remember Him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He's going to handle it. And He's going to handle it far more thoroughly and completely and decisively than we ever would. And correctly. Correctly. His justice is always right. What's the most powerful weapon we have against opposition, against persecution? What's the most powerful weapon we possess Many of you are holding it in your hand right now. The Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 tells us, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the Word of God. We have that. It's not like you're playing a game and you've got to get so far to a certain level so you can open up new weapons and new tools. That you're... No, no. We have it. We have it from the beginning. We have the greatest weapon we could possibly have in our arsenal. We already have it. And by the way, that's grace and mercy. So the last vision here in chapter 2 is this man with a measuring line. Now this is interesting because what is the line supposed to measure? It's measuring the expansion of Jerusalem. The, the uh, rebuilding of God's kingdom, so to speak. God's people. And so this man with a measuring line, he, God's already said that it would be stretched over Jerusalem back in chapter 1, verse 16. But then at the end of chapter 1, you see it's judgment for the nations. But in the beginning of chapter 2, you see it's blessing and glory for Israel. And you keep reading in chapter 2, you see judgment for the nations. And then at the end of chapter 2, you see blessing for Israel and the nations that come in to the Lord. So it's judgment on those who oppose God, blessing and glory for the children of God. Right? You know what this shows? Number four. You can depend on the Lord's love. His love for us. His love for His people. Expansion, prosperity, the presence of God. Jerusalem, it says in verse 4, is going to be inhabited with no walls. The Lord's going to be a wall of fire, which gives us security from enemies. The Lord's going to be the glory in her midst. God's presence. 
Verse 11 tells us that many nations are going to join themselves to the Lord and become His people. Then the most interesting thing happens at the end. All these promises, all these beautiful things that God's doing, showing us how we can depend on His comfort and His mercy and His justice and His love. But then when we get to the end of chapter 2, Verse 12 is another, another promise. The Lord will inherit Judah as His portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. There's that, that closeness, the presence of God. But then look at verse 13, the last verse. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, I apologize to our younger folks some of these illustrations are so perfect and so good, but you just weren't around for them. So <laughs> have, that's what Google's here for, all right? Just go make, make a note, go search it up, and you, you can see how perfect it is. There was a, uh, there was a stock broker named E.F. Hutton, and everybody my age and older is going to know this. All the commercial, every commercial, there'd be a, a party or people talking in an office and just, you know, lots of crowd noise. And then over in the corner you hear two guys talking. One guy says to his buddy, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and right then, everybody just went dead silent. And then the tagline to the commercial said, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Right. That's the cutting edge technology of the 70s, okay. But think about that. Chapter 2, verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. You know where else we see those words? Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. There was silence in heaven for half an hour. You know what that means? It means everybody better pay attention to what's about to happen. Everybody gets... What, what's the expression? You could hear a pin drop. Everybody better be quiet. When God says, be silent, all flesh before the Lord, something is about to happen. Something very vitally important is about to be said or done or experienced. The point is, we've got to tune in and pay attention. Don't, don't be distracted. When, when there's silence before the Lord, we have to pay attention. That's not the time to be checking text messages or checking emails or, or checking the watch to see what time it is. It's time to tune in. and What is it, God? I'm, I'm listening. Or, or in the Old Testament terms, with Eli and Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. When's the last time we took on that posture before God? When, when have we not been so busy or so distracted where we could silence ourselves long enough Block out the rest of everything 
and really listen to God. It's no coincidence that, and I'll just speak for myself, prayer time, I find myself, unfortunately, doing more talking than I am listening when I pray. God, help me with this. God, keep me from that. God, I need this. God, be with this person. And it's just a laundry list of requests instead of, all right, I'll be quiet. Just, I'm listening. Whatever it is, I'm listening. I found sometimes we, we don't like the quiet. And I'm not sure exactly why, but I suspect we don't like the quiet because maybe we're not all that comfortable with what we may hear. And so we feel like maybe if we just keep something going, some noise or, or talking, or maybe we won't hear. It's like, not. Oh, well, I, when's the last time you went to the doctor? Oh, I haven't been to the doctor in 20 years. Well, don't you think you need to go? Well, I'm afraid of what he might tell me. Right? Heaven forbid we get an accurate picture of our health. Right? I'm guilty. Right here. here. You know why I went to the doctor last? Darlene made an appointment for me. I didn't make it for myself. Do we do that with God? When's the last time we listened to, to God? Well, I, don't, I, mean, I pray all the time. I'm usually the one talking. Well, I'm just afraid of what He's going to tell me. Here's a little side note. You might want to write this down. I just thought of it, so it's probably not mine. If you're afraid of what God's going to tell you, He already told you. Alright, let, um, let me just review, recap here at the end. You see on the screen, okay, you can depend on the Lord's comfort. You can depend on the Lord's mercy. You can depend on the Lord's justice. You can depend on the Lord's love. Now let me give you two practical truths to follow that up. And these might be a little heavy to kind of think through. Number one, God is glorified in both judgment and salvation. And that may sound like, that's, that doesn't sound right. Let, let me tell you, tell you why it's true. The reason why God is glorified in both judgment and salvation is because God's justice is always perfect. So, when those who reject God and, and follow the world and the, and the enemy and, and live wickedly, when they are judged, the judgment is always accurate. The punishment is always perfect. The justice that God gives is always exactly right. It's righteous. So that highlights God's character. He is perfectly just, perfectly righteous. And His judgments are perfect and accurate. So He is glorified because His character of perfection is highlighted. 
when someone repents and believes the Gospel and God shows His mercy and grace and love and His kindness to save someone from their sins, forgive them and grant them eternal life, God is glorified because His perfect righteousness and grace and mercy and love is demonstrated. But in either case, God's character, His perfection is demonstrated. And He gets glorified from that. He gets glorified in this prophecy. When He comes and wreaks havoc on those who scattered God's people, when He judges them, He's glorified. And number two, delay of punishment is not proof of impunity. Let me just break that down for you. Just because God don't get them when we think He ought to get them, that means He's not going to get them. Okay? God's timing is another part of His character. It's always right. It's always perfect. God is never early, but He's never late. He's always right on time. And just because punishment is delayed for the wicked does not mean punishment's not coming. So it's not proof that they're just on their own, free to do whatever. Okay, just because punishment's delayed. God often seems to be asleep. But He's not. He has an appointed time. And He will serve justice. So God has come to us in His Word and He now invites us to come to Him just like He did His children 520 B.C. Return to Me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. He, he has. He's returned to us. So we need to turn to Him. And what are the benefits? We escape the wrath that is surely coming. And we receive the love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and presence of God. And just a final side note. This is not in my notes, but I think it's worth saying. We need to remember that we don't come to Jesus to get things. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. Jesus is the gift. <laughs> it's not it's not all the other the other stuff's just bonus. We don't come to, to God because His hand is open. We don't seek His hand, we seek His face. And by the way, that's in the Bible. Seek His, His face. Return to Jesus. Return to Jesus. Repent. Believe the Gospel. Come to Jesus.
Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. 